listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. Well, today I am going to uh, continue the series that Pastor Rocky started a couple of weeks ago called Start to Finish. Start to Finish. And this entire series, the idea of this is that it's leading us into Easter. And so we're looking at the life of Christ up until Easter. And so in, G, in, in, first, uh, in week one, rather, uh, Pastor Rocky talked about the birth of Jesus and then transitioned into the little bit that we know about him kind of in his young teenage years. And, and Pastor Rocky described the town that he came from, and it wasn't a very notable place, but that his humble beginnings did not stop him from fulfilling his destiny, and that we can be encouraged to get past the DNA that brought us into the world and instead to put our trust in the Father that breathed life into this world. And then in week two, last week, we looked at Jesus's baptism and then his subsequent being led into the wilderness to be tempted. And we looked at how in that story of how Jesus was baptized, that before any miracles were performed, God stated his approval of his son. God, the Father, spoke into that moment and said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. There was nothing done at that point to earn that, which leads us to uh, be so grateful that we have the approval of God, not by our actions, but by our association. We are children of God. And when we hear the confirmation of heaven as Jesus did, we've gotta be ready for the confrontation of hell because it means that we are primed and ready to fulfill that destiny that God has got for us. But don't worry, don't be afraid because the way that God prepares us and how the word is in us in those seasons will come out in those wilderness seasons for us. And so today we're gonna pick up the life of Jesus in John chapter two. I wanna give you just a moment to get there. John chapter two, in your Bible or your digital device, the uh, verses will also be on the screen. John chapter two records the first miracle that Jesus ever performed. And so we're gonna look at the first miracle that Jesus ever performed. It's a, uh, a very familiar passage of scripture, but I believe that it speaks a lot into our lives today. And so let's start in John chapter two. We're gonna start in verse one. On the third day, everybody say third day. There was a wedding at Cana in Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Can we say that? Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of the signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and the disciples believed in him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you love us so much that you have given us the power of your word. God, we know that it is powerful. We know that it brings life. And so God, we pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning. God, I pray that our hearts would be ready and receptive to your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would challenge us, that you would encourage us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. 
Well, over my years of ministry, I have had the, uh, the, the privilege of performing uh, quite a few wedding ceremonies. In fact, it's one of the things that, that I love. I, I really do count it an honor and a privilege if someone asks me to, to be a part and officiate their wedding ceremony. And since I've seen so many of them, I've officiated quite a few. I've been to so many more. Um, I, I know some things about weddings. And one thing that is true about weddings is that something will always go wrong at a wedding. It just happens. When you get that many people together for that one event and there's that much tension in a building or in a place or in a barn or in a field or wherever the wedding is happening, there is bound to be something that goes wrong. How many of you that are married in the room, you had something go wrong at your wedding? Big or small, didn't matter, big or small. A lot of the guys aren't raising their hands because they don't know what it was supposed to be. They just knew when they were supposed to show up. Am I, am I lying? That's the way it usually works best. Like you just show up when you're supposed to, you dress the way that you're supposed to dress, you say the words you're supposed to say, and then somehow you ended up married. That's how it happened. But something probably went wrong at your wedding. It happens. The caterer is, you know, like, you know, early or late or the food isn't what you expected or it's cold or whatever. There are other things that could go wrong, right? Somebody else could be late. Somebody in the bridal party might be late. Somebody forgot the rings. The unity candle won't stay lit because the air conditioning just keeps pumping air down on that unity candle. True story, I've seen that happen. Family tensions boil over. Oh man, when you get that much family in one place at one time, and uncle so-and-so hasn't seen aunt so-and-so in 20 years, and then you put them in the same room, fireworks are bound to happen, right? Things just go wrong. That happens at weddings. Things go wrong. Now, Deanna and I, my wife, we just celebrated last weekend 16 years of marriage. We celebrated our 16-year anniversary. Do you want to put that picture up? This was us kids, 16 years. I know, right? I know. I'd marry her all over again right now. 16 years ago, those kids got married. If I could go back, man, if I could go back and tell them some things, I would tell them how great the, la- the next 16 years would be. I know I would tell them that, right? I am stacking up some points right now, y'all. I'm just telling you, just telling you. You know what it is. All right. Our, our wedding was, was great. It really was. I enjoyed our wedding a lot. Now, I will say that I was one of those guys that just, I showed up at the right time, that I was told to show up wearing the right thing that I was told to wear and did all the things that I was supposed to do. My wife handed, handled all of the preparation, all of it. She did all of it. And she did a wonderful job. We got, had a location wedding on Marathon Key, and we had just a small group of family and friends. It was at sunset. The weather was perfect. I mean, like, it was just picturesque. Uh, Pastor Rocky and Mandy were there. Pastor Rocky actually was able to officiate that wedding. Um, look at that kid in the middle, right? <laughs> Time changes some things for everybody and beards and other things. So, um, so he was there. So we had a, a, a group of people that were just so close to us. It was just this really, really great time, but it was not without its issues and its problems, right? Our caterer showed up late, um, you know, and so that, that put a little bit of a, a, a kink in the plans. Uh, during the dance portion of the evening at the reception, it was out on the, the lawn of this house, this private house where we were having our wedding. Um, the irrigation uh, timer went on and just soaked everybody that was on the dance sand, it was not a dance floor, we had sand, so it was a dance sand. 
But the thing that sticks out to me the most about our wedding, when you think about things that didn't go according to plan, happened to do with our ring bearer. And I know that there are a lot of stories. When you get a kid involved in a wedding, just plan on something happening. And I know some people set it up like that because they love to see the uh, theatrics of a kid involved in something where they're supposed to follow a bunch of rules and be very formal. And so the the young kid that we had involved as our ring bearer was a a friend of Deanna's family, and he was like two or three years old at the time. And, uh, and, And he was really into pirates at the time, really into pirates. And so we were having a tropical wedding. Deanna said, I'm gonna get him a little gift. It's like that gift that you give the people that are in your wedding, especially the kids, like, hey, this is a thank you for being in my wedding. And also this is bribery for you to do what you're supposed to do at my wedding, right? So gave him a costume, this pirate costume, and he loved this thing. I mean, loved it, sword and all, loved this costume. He loved this costume so much that he had a nuclear-grade meltdown anytime anybody tried to get him out of this costume. And so we were faced with an issue because this is the day of the wedding. Time is ticking. We're about to start the ceremony. Deanna has a choice in this whole thing. Again, I have nothing to do with any of it. I am blissfully ignorant and unaware of what's happening. And so there is, I don't know who wooed, but all right. Um, And so there is this moment that Deanna has to make a choice. Am I not gonna have a ring bearer at this wedding, right? Or am I gonna have a, a ring bearer that's dressed like a pirate at my wedding? That was the choice that we had to make. And so I don't know what your wedding was like, and I don't know what your setup was, and I don't know who your ring bearer was, but Captain Jack Sparrow was the ring bearer at our wedding, 100%, just in case you thought I was lying to you. Things go wrong at weddings, it happens. And although we can look back at some of those things that have gone wrong in the past and maybe the, the, the small things that happened at your wedding that might have gone off the rails, hopefully years later we can look back and we can laugh at those things and it just creates a few more memories. But the reality is the wedding that we read about in John chapter two in our text this morning, something went wrong at that wedding, but it was anything but laughable because of the implications socially for the people that were involved in this wedding. And so let me talk to you a little bit about this wedding to kind of set us up for where I believe that God wants us to go with his word today. And so this wedding takes place in a little town called Cana. Cana is a small town. It's like one of those small towns where probably everybody knows everybody's business for good, bad, or the ugly. Everybody just knows everybody. And the scholars kind of estimate that there were roughly 100 people at this wedding. John gives us a little bit more insight into this when he says that on the third day of the wedding is when this miracle transpired, or I'm sorry, on the third day. Now, we could take that a couple of different ways because of the Jewish calendar. We're not exactly sure. It could have been that John was saying that this instance happened, this miracle happened on the third day of this wedding. I did not uh, misspeak. Uh, Weddings in Jewish antiquity would last around seven days. And so there would be the ceremony and then there would just be a week-long reception, a week-long party. Some of you, you're like, sign me up, that sounds amazing. That sounds like my nightmare, right? I cannot cha-cha slide for seven days in a row. I just can't, I can't do it. And so there's this this week-long party. So here's what we don't know. We don't know if John was saying on the third day of this 
wedding ceremony, so three days in with four days to go, or there was also some terminology that was used at that time that, that the days of the week were, were numbered. There wasn't a name for them, and so the third day would have been on a Tuesday. And that would also make sense because that was a very common day for Jewish weddings to start. And so it could have been, this was day one of a seven-day wedding. It could have been day three of a seven-day wedding. I'll be honest with you, that part doesn't really matter because they ran out of wine on this day. And they were short for at least four days, maybe six days, depending on how you want to count it. And this is a big, big problem. Because in that time, there was such pressure and such expectation placed on hospitality. There was a sacredness to hospitality. And so there were these huge expectations socially that were ingrained in everything in this community. And the people that were in charge of making sure that there was plenty to eat and drink all seven days of this feast were the bride and groom. And so you can rest assured that as the wine ran out, people started to turn to them and started to be angry and upset. They started probably looking down on them. They probably started talking to each other. It was a bad, bad scene. On top of that, in this time, there were actually laws on the book that a person that was attending this wedding, because they ran out of food or drink, they could sue this newlywed couple. How many of you have ever been to a wedding where you're like, I would like to sue them for making me come to this wedding, right? But that's what, so all of this is, so you can imagine that the tensions are incredibly high. There is a lot of tense conversations that are happening between each other. And then on top of all of that, so that's the social implication. On top of all of that, Jewish history is woven all through with a lot of symbolism, and the symbolism, according to the rabbis of that day, of wine, wine symbolized celebration, it symbolized abundance, and it symbolized joy. So besides just the fact that your whole entire community, neighborhood, small town is now looking down on you, and for the rest of your life, you're gonna be remembered as that couple that ran out of wine at your wedding, now there are some implications of symbolism. So if the wine runs out, does that mean that there's nothing to celebrate here? Does that mean that there's not an abundance of joy in this relationship? Does that mean that this couple is doomed to fail? You understand where we're at with all of this. And so because of that symbolism, when the wine flows at a wedding, it's all good. But when the wine runs out, it's a bad scene. And I'll be honest with you, in, in my life and in, in, in your life and our lives, we find that there are some seasons where the, the wine, so to speak, metaphorically, runs free in our life right, where it is flowing in our life, things are good. We're living in times of abundance and joy. There are things to celebrate. Maybe that's happening for you right now with your career. Maybe your job is on track. That business that you started boomed out of nowhere. You hired all the right people and everything is going really, really well. You're, I mean, you love the meetings with accounting because it's just money on top of money on top of money right now. I would love to meet you. I'll give you my address and I'll give you my Venmo right after this as well if you are then that boat. But maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe that's just flowing for you. Maybe that is just flowing in your life and everything is fantastic. When you're healthy, when you have your health, man, it just feels like life is flowing, doesn't it? Now, I know that, that a lot of young people in the room don't understand that. When we get older, that becomes more important because it's, much, it's, it's, a, it's a commodity that is not as easy to find, right? But when the health is flowing, man, it feels like everything is good. When your marriage is thriving and you are in sync with your spouse, 
I'm talking about like marriage conference was last month, but it feels like marriage conference in March in your house, if you know what I'm saying. Like it is, things are good. Y'all don't know what I'm saying then, apparently. It is good. Things are good. You're prioritizing date night. You have a great relationship with your spouse. Everything is clicking. It just feels like it's flowing. There's joy and abundance in these places. Maybe for you as a parent, you are crushing it. You're doing amazing as a parent. Your kid is the the president of whatever or they're the star of their team. Or maybe for you, you're a parent of a young kid and you just finally figured out how to get them to sleep through the night. You're crushing it. That's a game changer, amen? And so whatever it is in parenting, you feel like you are just like, sometimes you step back and you're like, am I even parenting this kid? I don't, I, don't need, I don't think I was doing that good. Like maybe some of you are in that boat today when it's just flowing, there's abundance, there's joy, there's so much to celebrate. But you and I both know that eventually that wine can run out. We both know that the eventuality is, is that seasons change, circumstances change, things start to change. And so what used to maybe be full of joy and abundance and things to celebrate is not so much anymore. And I think the question that we might have to wrestle with today is, is there something in your life that has been running out? Is there wine, so to speak, in your life that has been running out? Maybe for you, when I'm talking about all these other things that I just talked about, you're like, my life is exactly the opposite of that right now. Somebody in this room might be thinking, man, I am not crushing it as a parent. I yelled at my kid this morning on the way to church. Like, it, it, was, it, was, a, it was a bad, like they were crying before they came in here. I told them to suck it up, they're going to kids' church, you know? Like, it is not going great for me. Like, I am, I am losing, I am running out of patience. That wine is running out. Like, toddler, teenager, whatever, it is running out in my home. Maybe for you, there's peace that is running out because of dynamics within your family or your friends, or maybe it's where you work or your job, or maybe money is tight and so there's not that much peace to go around and so the, the wine of peace is running out for you. Maybe for you, you've been praying and praying and praying for God to come through for something, a healing in your body or for a family member to come back to Christ and the faith that you have is starting to run out. Or maybe for you, it's this trust that you used to have in your marriage. Your marriage used to be great but the trust was broken somehow. And now there's just that little tiny ounce of trust left that's trying to hold the whole thing together. And there's not a whole lot to celebrate because that trust is running out. Or maybe you just can't even define it. Maybe, you, maybe you're here this morning, you can't even put your finger on it, but you just know like, oh man, the joy in my life is running out. Like it's just been one thing after another. Like life has been gut punch after gut punch after gut punch. If I can be transparent and honest with you this morning, that has been my family's life probably like the last six months. It has been just one thing after another and, and I've found myself at times and moments where it's like, where is the, the joy is running out? The joy is very thin. And so the question becomes then, what do we do when the wine starts to run out? What do we do when there used to be abundance but now there's lack? What do we do when... There used to be joy, but it's been replaced with despair. What do we do when there isn't much at all to celebrate at all? I think too often what we do is we have these knee-jerk reactions in our lives where we try to fill those places and spaces where we feel that lack, but we try and fill them and find significance in insignificant things. And so when, when life gets difficult and the wine starts to run out, so to speak, 
We, we try and clamor and grab at anything, so we try to distract ourselves. We'll binge that show. We'll sit and scroll endlessly on social media and allow social media just to tell us how to think instead of us thinking for ourselves. Or we'll, we'll go and, and buy stuff that we know we can't afford and know that even if we can't afford it, we don't need it. Maybe for some of us in the room, it's, it's not so much distracting ourselves with that, but it's, I've got to attain another level of success to feel like I am important or feel accomplished. And so we have to get that title on our business card, or we have to get those letters after our name, or we have to get that other degree, or we have to make a certain amount of money, whatever that looks like. Or maybe it's relationships. And maybe you're like, I'm, I'm trying to find this satisfaction and this peace in all of these relationships, or at least in one relationship or this other relationship, and I didn't find it there, and so I'm gonna have a fling over here with this relationship and see if that fills this need that I have in my life. We try to find significance in these things, but we all know that the pleasure and the happiness are fleeting at best. So what should we do? When the wine is running out in our lives, what should we do? We should do what Mary did. In our story, what did Mary do? When the wine at the wedding ran out, what did Mary do? She goes to Jesus. When the wine runs out in our lives, we have got to go to Jesus. Instead of looking somewhere else to fill and fulfill us, what if we instead went to the very source of joy, the source of abundance, the source of celebration? Jesus himself says in John 10, 10, later in this same book, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus makes this bold claim that it is his desire for you to have life abundantly, to have joy, to have peace, this life in abundance, but he's also very clear that this life of abundance can only come through him. It can come no other way. God is an abundant God. He is not withholding, he's not stingy, he is generous. If you don't believe me, think about how much God loves us and how much he is willing to give us love, to show us grace, to forgive us, to provide for us, to be merciful for us. God is a generous, abundant, giving God. And so whatever you're running out of, whether it is something big in your life or something small in your life, I promise you that Jesus has an abundant supply. Jesus is the source. That is where we find that abundant life. Now, I'll be honest with you. At a glance, this miracle that Jesus performs at this wedding seems a little frivolous, doesn't it? I mean, after all, in in light of what Jesus is about to walk into in his ministry, he is about to lay hands on people and they were blind and now they see. He's about to heal paralyzed people that now can walk. He's about to raise people from the dead. In light of all of that, I am tempted in my humanity to look at this passage of scripture and say, well, what is the point? Why would this even be in here? Why is this something that Jesus even chose to get involved with? Why would he choose this of all the miracles? I'll be honest with you. If I'm Jesus, I'm out of the gate strong. I'm raising somebody from the dead right away, right? I'm gonna put myself on the map. But this is what Jesus chose. He chose turning water into wine at a party. He chose to make sure 
that he would save the embarrassment of this young newlywed couple and he would keep the party going for several more days. This is how he chooses to begin his earthly ministry. And at a glance, again, it seems frivolous until you realize that it really is just this picture of who God is and how abundant of a life he wants us to live and how gracious and generous he is. Because God is great, not because nothing is too big, but God is great also because nothing is too small. Nothing in your life is small enough or insignificant enough for God to not care about that. He cares about every single part of our lives. Luke 12, I'm sorry, Luke 12, six and seven, these are the words of Jesus. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And so if you wonder if Jesus cares about you, if you wonder if there's something in your life that's insignificant enough or too big for God, just understand that what Jesus is saying here is he cares so much about you, God knows so much about you and loves you so incredibly that he knows exactly how much hair you have on your head. And I'll be the first one to crack the joke. It's easier for him to count for some of us than for others. I know it's coming. Sometimes it's just easier to get ahead of it. You know what I mean? God has numbered the hairs on your head. He loves us that much. And so if you've ever wondered if Jesus cares about you, he knows all of the good, all of the bad, all of the ugly of your life that maybe no one else knows, and he still chooses to lavish love on you. He is concerned for the big things. He's concerned for the small things. And if Jesus cares enough to help some newlyweds save face, then you can trust that he cares about every single detail of your life. And he cares when the wine is running out. Jesus cares when the wine runs out, but when the wine runs out, make sure that you are going to the one who can make more wine. Back to the wedding. The wine ran out. It was a problem. People are starting to talk. Gossip is starting. Maybe people in the neighborhood are starting to find out what's going on. And Jesus is there at this wedding with his disciples and Mary, his mother, goes to Jesus. She goes to Jesus and said, the wine is running out. Now here's what we don't get the benefit of in this passage of scripture. We don't get the benefit of nuance and body language or tone or tenor in a conversation. And so indulge me, if you will, as I uh, kind of maybe lean a little bit into this and try to imagine what that scene might have looked like that day at that wedding when Jesus's mom is there and she goes to Jesus. I kind of see this as maybe a little elbow to the ribs of Jesus, maybe under her breath even, hey, Jesus, they're out of wine, right? Because Mary knows all the things. Mary knows that Jesus was baptized. Mary knows that his ministry is gonna start. Mary knows what he's capable of. Mary knows that he is gonna have this, this destiny in line for him and that he can do anything that, that, you know, that God wants him to do in line with the, father, uh, the will of the Father. And so maybe she's saying, hey, I know that you can do anything. Maybe this would be a great place to start. Jesus, just saying. It's a nice, nice easy one to glide into the ministry. Hey, Jesus, do you wanna, you know, you wanna do this? This could be good for you. This, I, know, I know what you can do. Mary was one of those moms that just believed their kid could do anything. It's just that Mary was right. You know what I'm saying? Like, (laughs) Jesus, you wanna do this thing? She asks him, she goes to Jesus, and this is the response. It's not always the, it's, it's not the response that I would have thought Jesus would come back with. In verse four, it says, Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now listen to me. 
young men and women in the room. This is not Jesus giving you the stamp of approval in the car on the way home to say, woman, to your mom. You will meet Jesus very quickly if that is how you interpret this text, I promise you. We really don't have a word for the Greek word that is used by Jesus here, but it's not a word that is any kind of, like there's no disrespect in that word at all. In fact, it's, it's really the opposite. There's a lot of respect placed on this. In fact, some translations would be closer that said like uh, lady or madam or we're in Newberry, ma'am. That's basically what this is. And so Jesus looks back at his mom and says, ma'am, honestly, what does this have to do with me? It's not time. It's not time. My time, my hour has not yet come. Jesus is reluctant to get involved. Now, now don't misunderstand because I know we just looked at this scripture in light of Jesus cares about every little thing about us. And now we see Jesus kind of pushing back a little bit saying, well, this is not my time. It's not my thing to get involved with. What does this have to do with me? It's not that Jesus didn't care about the couple. We know Jesus loves everyone. And we know Jesus wants the best for everyone. And so it's not that he did not love the people that were at this wedding and want to provide for them. It's not that Jesus had this crisis of faith in the moment, like, oh man, I've never done this one. I wonder if, you know, like I gotta practice somewhere behind the scenes before I come and break out these miracles. It was nothing like that. It was simply that his earthly ministry had not started yet. And so for Jesus, he knew what was coming. He knew what was gonna happen. He knew that amidst all of the amazing things that were gonna happen because of the power of God through him and through the spirit, this God on earth as Jesus, he knew that as amazing as that was going to be, that every devil from hell was gonna come out of the woodwork and try and stop him. And so he's waiting for the right time to enter into this season of ministry. And so he says, woman, ma'am, I don't think this concerns me. It's not my time yet, which makes the next verse even more comical, but also full of faith because this is Mary's response. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, I don't know, I, I don't know body language that was used here, but I can, I can imagine. I can imagine that mom tries to get Jesus involved. Jesus, hey, there's some, there's some wine that's missing. It's a good opportunity for you, ma'am. It's, it's just not, it's not right. It's not my time. I can see in my mind's eye, Mary rolling her eyes and turning her body away from Jesus and saying, servants, do whatever he tells you to do right? Something, something to that effect, like now what, right? Moms kind of have that way of making you feel like you have an option, but there really is only one option. And so she stops having a conversation with Jesus and starts having a conversation with these servants, indirectly having a conversation with Jesus again, which is also a mom special. That is a mom specialty, that mom's in the room, you can do it like nobody else can. And so she says to these servants, do whatever he tells you. Five very powerful and profound words. So powerful and profound, honestly, that, the, that we could wrap up the consistency of following Jesus in those five words. What does it look like to follow Jesus? Do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. What does it look like to live as a Christian right now in our current cultural climate? Do whatever Jesus tells you to do. What do I do? How do I become a, how do I live that life of faith in my home, at my job, with my kids? How do I live this way in my marriage? And how do I parent this way? Do whatever he tells you 
to do, whatever his word tells you to do, godly counsel, the Holy Spirit, when he whispers something into your spirit, do whatever he tells you to do. That was the response that Mary had. And so Mary tells these servants, do whatever Jesus tells you to do. So what does Jesus tell them to do then? He tells them that there are six stone water jars used for ceremonial cleansing purposes. And he wants them to fill them with water. This would have been roughly 120 to 180 gallons of water if my math is correct on that. Jesus does not ask the servants to do anything crazy and extravagant. Notice this. He doesn't ask the servants after he reluctantly asks them to do anything, I would imagine, because he already said no. Mom said yes. All right, fine. Here's what you're gonna do. But he looks at the servants and he says, I want you to go fill these jugs, these pots with water. And it probably took a while. It probably was a little tedious. It probably wasn't the most exciting of tasks, but he didn't do the, ask them to do anything extravagant. He didn't ask them to do anything miraculous. He didn't ask them to fill the jars with wine. He asked them to fill it with water. He didn't ask them to provide the abundance. All those servants needed to know was that they were supposed to do what Jesus told them to do. And so they just filled the jars. That's it. They were just obedient. They did what they could do. And then Jesus did what only he can do. You see, Jesus wants to do miraculous, abundant things in our lives, but he also invites us to play a part in those miracles because in the kingdom of God, obedience precedes provision. In the kingdom of God, obedience precedes. It comes before the provision. It comes before the miracle. We see this all over God's word. Anytime we see the miraculous happen, we see a similar formula happen most of the time where even in the Old Testament, when Naaman is he has the skin disease of leprosy and it's incurable and he goes to the prophet or has the prophet come to him and the prophet says, go dip in the Jordan River seven times. It's not until Naaman actually gets up, stands up, walks to the river, dips down seven times before that miracle is realized. There had to be movement. There had to be action. Naaman had to be obedient before he saw the reality of the miracle. The widow in 2 Kings chapter four that's running out of food for her family and she's used all of the oil and the prophet tells her, go get every jar that you possibly can from all your neighbors and don't skimp, get all of the jars that you can and just start pouring. And she starts pouring and it doesn't stop until the last jar is completely full. But I got news for you, the first jar doesn't get full unless she starts to pour something. There was obedience on her part that was required before she saw a miracle happen. When Jesus chose to feed the 5,000 that were in attendance listening to him and following his ministry around. He tells the disciples to go and pass out the loaves and the fish. It was not near enough, but there was only the, the food that was available until the disciples started actually handing it out. That is when the food was multiplied. It wasn't until they took that step and they were obedient and then the miraculous started to happen. For Peter, Peter had to step out of the boat before he could step on top of the waves. He had to say yes to Jesus before he got himself into that, this, into that position because obedience always precedes provision. And somewhere between the obedience that day of those servants of filling those pots with water and dipping that water out of the cup, carrying that water to the master of ceremonies, somewhere in between that, somewhere between the, the beginning of that, somewhere between the obedience and the evidence of the miracle, the miracle actually takes place. 
Somewhere, we don't know where. The Bible is not specific about this. And honestly, I don't think that it's for us to know. I think that sometimes we just have to allow God to work the way that God wants to work. But here's what the servants had to, had to really focus on, is that they didn't have to perform the miracle. They just had to say yes to whatever he tells us to do. And because they were obedient, somewhere after they filled the pots to the first sip that is taken, that water becomes wine. Jesus, listen, he is not asking us to perform the miracles. Only God can do that. But he does ask us to participate in those miracles. The servants had to fill the jars. If the jars aren't full, there is no water to turn into wine. Dallas Willard said it like this, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. Jesus is not asking us to earn the miraculous in our lives. He is simply asking us to do whatever he tells us to do. And I feel like somebody needs to hear this today. You're here and you're running out of wine. You're running out or you maybe be out of joy and abundance. There's nothing to celebrate in your life. And you're hoping for a miracle, but you're wanting it to be instantaneous and you're wanting it to be effortless on your part. And maybe you've even had that question for God like we've all had for God. God, why aren't you doing this thing for me? I want you to fulfill this. I want you to fix this. I want you to heal this. I need you to do this. I need you to do that. Why aren't you doing this for me? Why haven't you done anything yet? But maybe the better question for us to ask is of ourselves, am I doing what Jesus has asked me to do? What if there's a miracle just waiting for you and God is waiting for you to do what he tells you to do? What if the lack that you're experiencing in your life right now is nothing more than an opportunity for God to make wine out of water? So what is Jesus telling you to do? What step of obedience is required for you? What does it look like in your life to fill that pot, to be obedient in the things that you can be obedient in? What in the natural, mundane, maybe even boring parts of life is God requiring and asking for your obedience? Now, I'll be honest with you. Obeying God, doing what Jesus asks us to do is often uncomfortable. It often gets us into these situations where we are way outside of our comfort zone. And I believe that that's where God wants us. So what does that look like for you today? What is it that God is asking you to do? What is Jesus telling you to do? What is your part to play in your miracle? We know some of the things that Jesus asks from us. We know some of the things that Jesus tells us to do. And so who is it that you've got to forgive in your life? What if God has a miracle waiting for you but you're so intent on holding on to that bitterness and that unforgiveness that is so justified because of what they did to you that you can't even see past that into what God wants for you. Who do we have to forgive? What do you need to pray about instead of worrying about? In the words of Jesus, what neighbor do you need to love? Also in the words of Jesus, what enemy? do we need to love? While you're waiting on your miracle, while you're waiting with nothing but water in some pots to turn into wine, do 
whatever he tells you to do. The servants obeyed Jesus and the miraculous happened. These servants, they showed up for work that day, no idea in their head that they were going to have a part to play in the first miracle of Jesus's ministry. But isn't that the way that it works when we're obedient? When we do what Jesus asks us to do, he gets us involved in these supernatural, miraculous moments that we just get to be a part of. And we just get to push the glory and the honor back to him. And as amazing as this miracle is, and it is amazing, as amazing as this miracle is, and as much as this shows us about our obedience to Jesus, and as much as it shows us that, that God cares about the, the, all the things in our life, the large things, the little things, and everything in between, as much as it shows all of that, this miracle really does point to something even bigger. You see, on the surface, it's a really nice story about Jesus attending a wedding where they were out of wine. But John lets us in a little bit of a peek behind the curtain, so to speak. Because in verse 11 of John chapter two, we read it earlier, but it says this, this the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. In the book of John, there are seven signs. That's what John calls it. And all of these signs serve to point to something that is larger, like a larger reality, something that is like a, a, an overtone of everything else. And so this miracle is not just for this young couple. This miracle is not just for Mary. This miracle is not just for these servants. This miracle is not even just so that we can read it, pull points from that, apply them to our lives and our obedience to Jesus. This miracle is so much more. It is a sign that points to a larger reality. And that larger reality is that this miracle points to Jesus on the cross. You see this miracle that all of Jesus's life points to his death, his burial and his resurrection. See the disciples that were in the crowd, the wedding guests that were in the crowd had no idea what was coming for Jesus, not really. But Jesus knew. Jesus knew that in the matter of about three years from this moment that we're reading right now, that he would be hanging on a cross willingly for the sin of humanity. That Mary, his mother, Those of you that know, we lost my mom back in January and preaching a sermon about mother and son dynamics has been a challenge. But Mary, who's poking him in the ribs at this wedding where people are eating and drinking, he knows that Mary is gonna be at the foot of his cross watching as he breathes his last breath for humanity. Jesus knows what's about to happen. He knows that the disciples that are there with him that day at the wedding will not be there with him at the cross because they're afraid for their lives. He knows what's coming. And so when he shows up, when he shows up to this wedding and he sees that the wine has run out, he understands there's a bigger story to tell. There is a bigger sign to point to a much greater story 
a much bigger miracle even than that because Jesus can look at the situation and he can see the wine running out at this wedding, but he can also see the wine running out of Jesus's life as well. And it's not an accident that John decides to use the third day descriptively in this way. When it was all the chapter before, the next day, the next day, the next day, the next day, now all of a sudden the third day is significant because on the third day, the power of God is evident and it changes what had run out into wine that was flowing freely. And on the third day in the resurrection was the day that it looked like all hope was lost until that day. The third day changed everything. The, tr- the third day was the evidence of Jesus's obedience and the miracle that took place is that the tomb was empty on that third day. And so when Jesus shows up to a wedding on the third day, you better believe that he's thinking about the next third day that he's gonna experience when he walks out of that tomb because nothing can hold the power of God back. And new wine starts flowing that day. New wine starts flowing that day. New life starts flowing that day and it hasn't stopped since and it's not gonna stop anytime soon. And so that resurrection power is the sign that's being pointed to in this whole entire story. The life of Jesus all points to that moment and that miracle because there is no abundance. There is no joy without a resurrection and without a third day. Father, we thank you. We're so grateful for your love for us. We're so grateful that you love us and all the big things and all the small things. That you know everything about us and you still choose to be so gracious and extravagant and abundant with your love and your grace and your mercy. God, I pray that you would show each and every single one of us, Holy Spirit, illuminate in our hearts right now those places that we have been avoiding doing what it is that Jesus is telling us to do. Holy Spirit, speak to us right now. What is it that we need to do, Holy Spirit? What do we need to do to be obedient? What do we need to do to line ourselves up with your will, Father? Show us those things. And God, I pray that you would just do the miraculous in the lives of the people here today. I pray that you would do the miraculous in the lives of the women at the FWRC right now. I pray that you would do things that only you can do as we offer our lives to you in obedience to you. God, do what only you can do. And when you do those things in our lives, God, give us the opportunity to spread your name and your fame and your glory. God, we do not deserve, we do not earn what you have done for us, but we are so grateful for it. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.